Welcome to the Western North London podcast, where we're down, but not out. <laughs> I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Oh, Tim, we're going to need some heavy drinks this week. It is, exactly. <laughs> the, ta- the, the times have changed since last we recorded together. I know. It's a, it, it's a little bit of a downer, but uh, hopefully we're not too down on this episode. I'm going to try and be positive. We, we have gotten so lucky this year. That we mm-hmm. haven't had too many of these episodes where we've just been depressed messes. I mean, I mean a, like, a couple. I mean, even uh, so, after the uh, Man U loss, their first loss of the season, like it, mm-hmm. we've we felt pretty positive after that. And I'm trying to like channel that vibe because I'm feeling a little down after this last uh, couple games. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the positives. There are some, I think. Um. <laughs> Let's let's start with our drinks. What do you what do you have to help ease the pain this week? Well, this week a friend of the pod, Alex, who was on two weeks ago, mm-hmm. dropped off a beer for me, and it's the seven year anniversary structures beer, which I'm reading it now. It says a blend of imperial stout and barley wine, aged in stainless and bourbon air barrel uh, casks, conditioned on coffee. From a local roaster, a hint of toasted coconut. Oh God, I just read the ABV and I'm sorry. This podcast may end badly. It's 11.6%. Oh man, you beat me even this week. <laughs> I blame Alex. So. But uh, let me open it. Oh, that's too delightful. Yeah, this is dangerous. <laughs> I'm yeah. I apologize for the end of the episode if I put wax lyrically and whatever because that that is <laughs> fantastic. Like anything structures does is good. Like it's one of my favorite breweries in the state. And yeah, no, that's too good. Well, I I thought I was doing. Uh, I thought I was going to be the the strong beer this week at. <laughs> Nine point two percent. Oh, geez, where are you going? This one snuck up on me. I didn't even look at the per- percentage when I bought it. Um, so I made the mistake of going back to QFC again. Mm-hmm. Well, really, I just happened to be there and was like, "Oh, I need a beer. I need some beer. Uh, might as well get it while I'm at the store." And <clears throat> I was searching and searching once again for anything that was not a uh, hazy. Double IPA, regular IPA, um, like they exist, but in the quantity that I I want, I feel like I it was the selection was very slim. Um, so I ended up branching out. It's like one of the few non IPAs I've had recently. It's the uh, it's a limited edition called the Mighty Oak, Ooh. and it's a Scotch ale from Silver City Brewery. I love a Scotch ale and I love Silver City. So please tell me all about this. Yeah, it's, uh, what do they call it? It's um, aged and American white oak mm-hmm. and uh, features smooth vanilla notes intertwined with subtle smokiness and bold malt character. Let's see how this goes down. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. Excellent. So you would recommend? 
Yeah, I'm so happy to have something that isn't an IPA. I, I've I, I never thought I'd say that, but I've just been <laughs> burnt out. Welcome to the other side. Uh, yes, I I'm, think I finally pushed through. I mean, I love a good IPA, but I'm I'm much more interested in anything that's not IPA now at this point. It it just can't be all there is. I it got way out of control. There used to be some variety out there. Well, it used to be the IPAs were kind of like <clears throat> not on the fringe, but it was like a. Uh, I know a thing you would seek out. Now it's just like, as you said, like every time I go to the store and I'm looking, I'm like looking at all the six packs. It's all IPAs, specifically hazy, is all that's just in the uh, the storefront, and I'm 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 over it. Like I love an IPA, but I don't. That's not all I want to drink. Right. Yeah. I think that's where I felt I just was hitting the IPA a little too long, so. This is actually really good, so I'm excited to have something new. Well, and I think we need a pretty high ABV for this episode because <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. lie. I'm, I'm str- like normally I get very excited about recording, and mm-hmm. today I really had to like force myself to get t- to the recording table because yeah, it's going to be a tough episode. So having some uh, some higher ABV is going to help us. I think. I hope so. I need something. <laughs> I it was uh it was a tough day, but we're we're gonna we're gonna push we're gonna push through this. We're gonna be okay. Yeah. We're all gonna be okay. We're not getting relegated, so no. Uh the Timbit for this week, what do you got? Well, uh I was reminded because I had to start ordering from this, which is its Girl Scout cookie season mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Which I I don't know if are are, are your lovely children involved in the Girl Scouts or selling cookies? No, I I don't know how excited I would be to be on the the sales side of of the cookies. I think yeah. I'm I'm fine being a consumer, but I'm not. I don't know if I'd be <laughs> want to be standing outside of the grocery store trying to sell these things. Oh, so my lovely uh, nieces are are definitely in the hardcore selling side, and mm-hmm. we may have to put a uh, link in the uh, description at hey, the end of the show. We can do that. I'm shameless that way. <laughs> but my uh, my question to you is. Which Girl Scout cookies would you equate to which player in the uh, current Arsenal team? Hold up. I need a list of Girl Scout cookies. I don't yeah. know if I know, know all of them. I mean, there's the uh, Thin Mints, which are better frozen. Samosas, which are far inferior to uh, Tagalongs. Personal uh, opinion. Lemon Drops, which are the new ones that I, I absolutely adore. Okay. You got your list up? I've got the list up here and I'm just real hungry now. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> there are some of these I have definitely not tried. There's this like French toast looking one. Yeah. There's a bunch of new ones. Like, as I said, lemon drops and uh, s'mores were introduced oh. just a couple years ago and s'mores and lemon drops have become my two favorites, but I this adventureful with caramel that looks pretty oh, good yeah yeah there's some stuff i need to try out there all right so of the ones you've tried though what would you equate to what arsenal player um i really hmm i think the the the, the samoa's got to be uh odegaard yeah, he's just he's just got a little bit of everything. He's, <laughs> he can he can assist. He can score. 
He's got chocolate. He's got coconut. He's got caramel. He's got it all together. <laughs> um, you know, plus, plus it, it, it doesn't, I, I think the, the ugliness of this cookie doesn't do justice to the, the prettiness of his game though. So <sighs> what's the ugness, ugliness of a Odegaard though? I don't know. That's the hard thing. He's, he's more, he's more smooth than, than the gross looking, uh, coconut explosion that is a Samoa. Um, hmm. Maybe he would be more of an adventure fool. He's got the, he's got the caramel, he's got the smooth caramel. He's got the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, what's with the thin mints? What, who's the, what would you say the thin mint is? I mean, I feel like that is the, the quintessential Girl Scout cookie. Everybody thinks it of is, thin mints. It is the quintessential, but it's also cold and like the best idea is to put them in the freezer and let them sit. Well, so when you're talking about somebody who's ice cold, look no further than Sokka taking a yeah. penalty. Oh. I think and, and and you talk about your talisman. That's, yes. That's that's your thin mint of the oh, team right there. I love that. Yes. So we're we're saying uh Sokka is a thin mint. I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, with the trefoils or trifoils is going to be uh, Od- or not Odegaard, uh, Jaka. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. fancy, nothing, nothing too crazy, just sweet, and everyone loves it. Yep, it's totally solid. Yeah. Um, the uh, the toast yay French toast looking. <laughs> I don't know why that just screams Ramsdale to me. You know, like a, a little bit of fun, a little something different. For me, the toastier would be Vieira, which is oh. I've never tried toastier, <laughs> so okay. I don't know what how good it, it sounds. Good, it could be amazing, but I haven't I haven't tasted it, so I don't know what it's going to be. And that's where I'm with Vieira at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see the tagalongs. Mm. You've got you've got some you've got some layers going on, and I think a player that has layers is Ben White. Oh, I love that. And uh, let's see what else we got. We got it. We got the dosy doughs. Yeah, the the classic cookie sandwich. Yeah, with a little peanut butter in the middle. Um, that's tough. Is that going to be uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, American backup keeper? <laughs> with the peanut in the middle. It's got some layers. Not everyone's cup of tea, but got the peanut butter in the middle for the uh, the the Americanness, I guess. Classic, yeah, the classic American snack of peanut butter. Yeah, and uh hmm. The car there's a caramel chocolate chip. Interesting. Interesting. Not had that. I don't know. They, that they've, they've definitely added a bunch of flavors since I last ordered. Uh-huh. Oh, here we go. Girl Scout s'mores. Ah. Going with party. Ah. He's got everything you need in the middle. Ah. <laughs> ah, you. That was a home run, by the way. <laughs> and they, they, they are my favorite cookie. Like, those Girl Scout <laughs> s'mores are absolutely my favorite cookie. So, I, uh, yeah. And I could right. say party is my favorite cookie. Or gonna, one of my uh, favorite cookies. That, that's my walk off. I, I can't yeah. do any better than that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> All right. Well. Now the fun part has ended. Uh, now we have to actually talk about our. <laughs> now we got to get real. Um, let's 
let's start off by saying the sky is not falling. No. We are, we can only complain so much because mm-hmm. we're really still in a, a very good position. And I don't think this team is suddenly going to crash and burn. Yeah. Knock on I mean, wood. At the end of the day, we're tied for first. This is always going to happen. I've been saying this for ages, which is, you know, we had two games against Man City when we were six points ahead of Man City. And I, yes, the sky's not falling. There's definitely some questions that I think we're we're going to get to as far as the team. But, you know, I think you have to take a breath and go, we're far ahead of where we thought we were going to be at the beginning of this season. And I, I just, I, I do have to be positive. Like, uh, you know, the ceiling on this, or the floor on the ceiling, or floor on this season, sorry. The floor on the season is way a bit above where I thought we would be, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're still in a good position to make the top four, which is our goal. Um. I would not count us out of the title race at all. Mm-hmm. I still think that is very possible because we still are better than most of the teams in the league. So we're still going to pick yeah. up plenty of points. Um, and I saw signs of life today that I was a little concerned about. I think there's, there's still some questions that need to be answered as far as goal scoring. Yes. But in terms of what this team is, what it is still capable of doing, I think the foundation is still there. So I don't know that 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 has fundamentally changed. We just need to figure out how to get the right players back, that being Jesus or, you know, maybe Emil Smith Rowe party now. But, you know, you got to, we got to get some pieces back. And I think some of these things will fix themselves. Exactly. And I I think we have to start with the, uh, the uh, Burnley game, right? Uh, Brentford, Brentford. Or Brentford, sorry. The other, the other, one B of the team. other B teams. Um, I know I get that and uh, Brighton, they're, they're all yes. interchangeable in my brain. Yeah, um, so the B teams. Yes. So Brentford, just, uh, just the hatchet job by the referees once again, making this game more than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not not the most pretty game for Arsenal. It they they were uh fine. <laughs> they were fine, I would say. <laughs> it it really you look at the um the stats and they they definitely were all in Arsenal's favor. I mean, everything except for the end result and that and that really came down to a poor it just a just a horrible var job here um but i we'll we'll get to that in a second i will i will give a ton of credit to brentford for coming out and um playing tough i mean they Mm -hmm. they were they were difficult they tony had an amazing game up front and I, I I wouldn't say he deserved the goal that he got, but he did deserve a goal. Yeah. Um, he was a handful for Saliba. I, I think Saliba maybe was caught out a little bit more than I expected. Um, 
And a lot of it came down to just a lot of aerial duels, which is not Saliba's strong suit. Mm-hmm. But he, I, I, I think coming out of that, despite those challenges, he he did all right. And it, it I think it for a young player who's who's looking to grow their game and, and get to the next level, those sorts of games kind of have to happen so you understand where you have to go next. And so for yeah. Saliba, I think he everybody knew he was he was going to be challenged by somebody with height and somebody who was going to go up for a lot of uh long balls and aerial duels and i think for the most part Saliba was was fine it's just you you could see the the weak spot the in his game and they definitely tried to go after him for that and that's going to happen but he he i think he's going to come out the other side a, a better player in the long run because now he he should know very well where where he needs to improve. Definitely. And like, uh, I know we are going to get into other discussions of this game, but my fundamental thought is if you win, lose, draw a game by one goal, it can't, you can blame the referees, but like you could, you can score more goals, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's not, <laughs> I don't think this is like a cabal against the Arsenal or anything like that. It's just like you have to be ruthless in these type of games and Arsenal is just not ruthless. And it is what it is. Uh, It is, uh, you know, points dropped and, you know, we will talk about the, uh, (laughs) the VAR decision, I'm sure, coming up. But yeah, we just needed to score score more goals than the other team and just one more goal. And that's at the end of the day, outside of the referee, outside of VAR, just put it in the net and you don't have these discussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that has been, that has been the challenge for this team lately has been really taking advantage of all the possession, all the passing, all those things that they are very much in control of and, and is what is keeping them in games. But if you can't find a way to turn those things into goals, it doesn't matter how much possession you have. So they, mm. they are, they're almost there. The, like I said, the foundation is there as far as the way that they are playing, the way they're controlling, the way they're passing. It's, it's evident that that is still core to their game and that hasn't fallen apart. But the mistakes have crept in. The lack of scoring is is going to be is going to make those mistakes all the more apparent. Because if you can't put the ball in the back of the net, then of course those things, you're going to nitpick every little mistake that the team is is inflicting itself with. Um, it's just unfortunate that in this in this case they they could have been bailed out by a better refereeing and they weren't. I mean, before we get to the uh, refereeing and the VAR, are you feeling a little bit of flashbacks from last season towards the end of the season? Are you feeling a little bit like there things are falling apart and it's like the the youth of the squad or the whatever that just a little bit of inexperience is just making everything fall apart at the end? It feels a little bit different to me in the sense that like I looked at last season and it was like, why is this, what, what, what is it? What is it that's causing this? And it was just like every, everything. There's just like 
piles of injuries. There was just everything was kind of falling apart at the seams. This doesn't <clears throat> quite feel at that level yet. Hopefully it doesn't mm-hmm. continue in that direction, but it is, you know, party getting injured today or prior to today's game. Um, definitely it was felt like a, a bit of a, a repeat of, of last season. And the one saving grace to that is that we actually had done the work to get somebody in that could <laughs> back him up. So I think some of the mistakes and some of the things that happened last season are definitely lessons that were learned. And I th- I'm hopeful that the, the mentality is a bit stronger. The idea that they are capable of more um, based on how they play the first half of the season has permeated them. And, and really it's just a matter of tweaking a couple things and getting them on the right track again and not some huge team crisis. Yeah. But it's hard to say we haven't done it yet. What else uh, do you take away from from the uh, the Brentford game? I think we just got to say refs are bad. Referees are so bad in the Premier League that they don't do the basics, even when given the opportunity to get it right with a, a secondary review. They're incapable of doing that. Are we going to VAR? Because I have a... I, we I, have to. We have to. I, I mean, it, it's like the, the the main narrative of the game because it, you, you look at... I, I, lots of credit to Trissard to come off the bench and, and score a goal and get Arsenal back in the game. Mm-hmm. But that should have been it. That should have been the end of the game. That should have been the end of the story. And it got complete... Despite what how Brentford played and, the, and, and um, it was a decent decent goal that they were given but they they were given that goal i mean that that should not have stood i i'm i'm so tired of talking about var and like mm. if you're a long listener of this podcast you know that i'm not a huge fan of var and never been a fan of var and this is an exact example why i hate var because the referees were given every opportunity to make the correct call and they like excuse me in French we don't generally cuss on this but they fucked up like it 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 bothers me so much that they didn't draw the line. Isn't it bizarre? I mean, like the it yeah. was it last season or, or you know maybe a, a couple seasons ago where it was like every offside call was scrutinized to the nth mm-hmm. degree lines were drawn in every direction to try to <laughs> geometrically figure out if a player was offside. And now it's like, ah, we looked at one. There was a couple, but we only got to one of them. So, but it's like they still have not figured out how to properly address every phase of play. Like, yeah. I, well, why? I mean, for me, it's just like, uh, when I get back to it and like, I know like it's like old man yelling at clouds. Cause I've been watching <laughs> this game for a, a minute. I'd rather just have a ref make a mistake, to be honest, straight up. I just rather, cause like I can understand that I can under like physically understand we're all humans. We make a mistake and, uh, the stats I've, and I've said this stat a bunch of times, which is the stats were before VAR 98% of V of, uh, offsides calls were correct with the, without VAR. Mm-hmm. So, so you're looking at the 2% and if you get it wrong, 
I can understand human error. And I mean, I guess this is human error, but I can't understand that when you have every single opportunity to make the correct call and you make the wrong call, that's unacceptable. And it, you know, it may be that we lose the title by 10 points. I don't know, like, you know, the season's long and hard, but if we lose the, the title by less than three points, Ugh. I'm going to be utterly upset. And like, yeah, they apologize. Cool. Apologies are good. But you know, what does that mean? We still lose the league mm-hmm. on, a, on, on an incorrect call. And the amount of times that VRs, again, I'm going to apologize for my swear words, but the amount of times that VRs fucked us and this call, like, like I'm just incensed. I'm like, I'd, I'd rather just go back to referees making calls on the field and I'd feel better about it. I don't like the entire point of VR was to get rid of this and it's not gotten rid of it. So like, let's just go back to where we don't have to wait three minutes for a goal mm-hmm. to be called. Like I, I, I'm, 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 I'm so over it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm sick of the delays yeah. that delay gratification for the goals that we do score and then don't pan out. I mean, like, Take take mm-hmm. your time. I mean, I, I at no point have I been like, oh, they're taking too long. They really need to get this game going again. I'd rather them just get it right. And that's where, like, I may disagree with you. Where, like, I'd rather like the game just go on, and what's called on the field is called on the field. Like that, that like the delayed gratification is exactly why I hate VAR. Like, it's like why I love this game is that it goes fast and quick, and there's not a lot of delays. There's not any stoppage in play, and you just go back and forth, and then you stop it. And I believe it was three. They looked at the call, the goal for three minutes, if I remember correctly. And it was at still, least at least two minutes for the first. Well, for what they said afterwards was they looked at at least two minutes at the first part of that play and still didn't get it right. And then didn't even look at the second part where they didn't get it right. So I I had, it was a bunch of time wasted, honestly. Like, if you're not going to get it right, don't bother. But like, I'd rather it be two to three more minutes and you've analyzed at least every play that could be considered offside. Like if you're going to do it, do it right. If not, get out of the way. Yeah. I mean, and that's where I'm at. It's like, I'm getting out of the way. I'm, I've been skeptical of VAR from the beginning and I'm, uh, I'm over it. Like, and you know, you know, no one's going to care about what I say, but I'm, I'm so just done with it. I, I would have felt better with the call on the play than spending any time and people are wrong and it's, it is what it is as opposed to people are wrong when they had every opportunity to make it right. So there's, there's a couple things that we saw at the world cup that would have alleviated this issue. Um, first off, we, if, if you're dealing with real time, real time keeping and mm-hmm. it's not some estimation or some abbreviated timekeeping where they're given 30 seconds for every minute or whatever their their fuzzy math is at the end of the game but if you if you are truly keeping time as it, as it 
should be, then it doesn't matter how long you take to get the call right. Because that ga- that that time will be tacked on no matter mm-hmm. what. So if you do that, and and it alleviates some of these things that we've seen, these teams like Brentford and Everton and some other teams where they come out and they're trying to stall, they're trying to go to ground on every little potential head injury and really just milking the clock out as much as they possibly can. A lot of that goes away if you start keeping time like you you should and start like forcing teams to consider that that might come back to bite them at the end of the game if they're wasting time. So um, I think the, the the proper timekeeping could fix this. And, you know, the semi, semi-automated mm-hmm. uh, offside, like if you're doing like the part of VAR was to try to correct for human error, but we've just put dumber humans uh, <laughs> on the, on the video um, replays and, and, you know, the same people that are center refs are now working behind, behind the video monitors yeah. and making the same bad calls. Like they couldn't do it on the field. Why, why would they be expected to do anything better uh, off the field? So I, I, we need to, um, take some of that out of their hands because, uh, it is it, offside should be fairly black and white especially yeah. with the technology that we have. This should not be open to interpretation. It is pretty pretty clear that this was offside multiple occasions. Why there is human error in this instance at all is is not, it's just not needed. I mean, we, yeah. this, this should have been implemented um, from the get-go. You do not need a, a, an interpretation of offside. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as that part of it, is yeah easy like the automated offsides should be especially with you know the premier league being the richest league in the world they it should be a no-brainer the world cup did it so why couldn't you know the premier league do it mm-hmm. as far as the uh the other side of it which is the uh, time wasting thing which is like a little bit of a tangent but i fully agree with your sentiment I was talking about that actually today while we were watching the uh, the uh, city game, and someone brought up a good point, which is it's probably TV that stops that from happening, which in which they have to they know they have to know that it's not going to be a twenty eight minute deviation. It's going to be five to ten or five minutes is generally the maximum, mm-hmm. maybe eight minutes. And that has to do with the TV pressures that there's going to be a show on after the game. And so it's probably out of the, uh, the referee's hands and more into the, uh, the TV channel's hands at that point. I'd take less time from the talking heads. I mean, we don't need, we don't need the punditry to last quite as long. So let's get the games right. Let's figure that out because I the, the, the protocols have been put in place for head injuries are getting abused. I mean, you mm-hmm. see a- anytime there's a potential he- head collision, guys going down, holding their heads and stopping mm-hmm. the flow of the game. It's that's time wasting was already bad. You already, you already see these goalkeepers getting out of control and not getting, you know, yep. what used to be a, a five or six second rule that is not even enforced by referees. You have to be very egregious for referee to really take notice. So that's that was all that's already gotten bad, and then you're adding in all these extra injury uh, pauses. It's just it it's gotten 
ridiculous already how little the ball's in play. Yeah. You've got to fix that. I, I don't know what you do other than give that time back. And if 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 the TV networks need to extend by 10 15 minutes or whatever it is, it, it it shouldn't it shouldn't be that big of a deal to get the game right. But I mean that being said, we 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 drew against Brentford and that is what it is. It's not ideal. Is there anything mm-hmm. more you want to say about that game? No, I mean I think we all share in Arteta's frustration that it doesn't matter that the, the league came back the should should say that the league it was the uh referees association on be- behalf of Howard Webb uh, you know came back and said this is uh, a mistake that we made but we've gone ahead and and fixed that and these guys are are going to do better cool give and us our points prove it prove yeah, it they, yeah. they, I, I don't i don't care give us our points or I don't care about an apology because like apologies are great. Like this is something I grew up with, which is like, you can say you're sorry all you want, but you have to fix the mistake you made. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how you fix that mistake, but yeah, cool. You're sorry. I'll give you a thumbs up. I don't know. I don't know what it's like, what you want from me. Yeah. It's, it's embarrassing that, that, that apology had to even be made. Um, and and it's it's made worse by the fact that they uh, had multiple issues uh, mm-hmm. across the weekend with with several games. Yeah. Reminds me of of some train derailments that have happened recently. When it rains, it pours. Yeah, as I as I like, I'm so anti VAR, and this is like exactly why I hate VAR. So they is- they need to fix it. It's not in a good place. That is for sure. They have not figured out how to best best utilize this tool that they've been given. I mean, like that's the thing is like maybe it didn't like maybe you don't need to fix a problem that didn't need fixing. Mm. You know, as I said, like ninety eight percent of offsides calls were correct on the field before VAR. So, like, do you need to really hone in on that two percent or just? go back to how it was but it's not even like like i said it's not even the offside that should be the challenge that should be the easy the easy part of all of this that should be the one that's very straightforward i don't know why that it's so so difficult but then like and with the advent of vr then you start like going into like what toenail was over the line or or, you know like that yeah it, it gets so granular and it doesn't need to be that granular. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it doesn't need to be this way. And for me, it takes away from the enjoyment of the game, whether it's, whether it's actually Arsenal, like I, any game I watch, I get fairly annoyed with these. Like, I mean, I was watching the PSG Bayern game, neither team do I like all that much, but like there are all these, like there are two offsides call. And one of them was like, uh, yeah, it's offsides, but uh, it it takes away from the spectacle of the game you know yeah i definitely hate what it's done to goal celebrations for sure um but we should we should move on that was that was blow (laughs) blow number one this week um and again like we tied we hate dropping points but 
maybe not the end of the world. Um, but it definitely set up some some more pressure for Arsenal going into this Man City game, which was already going to be epic by most standards. I think this was the biggest game of the season so far. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think a little bit of the shine was taken off by that Brentford game. And it definitely added to the pressure that Arsenal was feeling because it's been not, you know, less than great as far as the, the run of games leading up, up to this. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anybody was feeling overly confident. I think it was definitely, there was a, a healthy level of, um, nervousness going into it. And mm-hmm. I think that, that played out on the field quite a bit in it. it I, I sensed it from our players. I I felt like that first first half, although we had um, maybe the better better first half of the two teams, um, it still felt like things were not not quite clicking, and that, and that's been a running theme. It's just not not quite as sharp as they should have been going into this game, and definitely not as sharp as they needed to be to get a result from this game well i mean the, the, before the the kickoff happens what do you think of the uh, the starting lineup what was your your thoughts on it well it was interesting to see i mean we had been talking a bit about how white had not been at his best for several games mm-hmm. but i thought he would have seen the bench sooner than this um so tommy asu coming in i think was um maybe more, less about white and more about what Tommy Asu can do as far as man marking and how he is able to uh, be involved in the defense and, and still get forward. Um, so definitely Tommy Asu is, is in a similar mold as, as white, but offers a couple, a couple different aspects to his game. So I could see where if uh, Arteta was feeling at all uh, nervous about, White's uh, form lately, I think Tomiyasu just was a, l- a little bit more of a safer, safer choice, a safer bet in this game. Uh, but I, I don't know if that really panned out. Well, I mean, like I was again talking to my buddies before the game, and I'm a, I was like Tomiyasu, or and during the game, but Tomiyasu was what I would have picked before the game, but mm. seeing the game. I think that was the wrong decision. Mm. And I don't blame it on Teddy because as I said, that would be would have been my choice if I was coach to start Tommy Asu. Mm-hmm. But seeing the game unfold and realizing that maybe Tommy Asu wasn't as game ready. Because I mean, to be honest, two of the goals were Tommy Asu's fault. Most definitely on that first one. And the second one where he he pinched in on the second one Mm -hmm. and left that that space so goddamn wide open. It was annoying. And I don't know if White would have... The the first goal is just a defenseman's mistake that happens, although you should never cross into the center like that. You should always clear it. That's defending 101. And then the, the second one, he was just decided to pinch in and leave all that space 
for Sadie to be there. But uh, I think White may not have made those mistakes. Yeah, maybe not. I it's it's hard to say uh, because, like I said, White has not been great. Uh, mm. He hasn't been at his best lately. So I don't know what version of him we would have gotten in this game. Um, but it was, I, I think it was clear that even though Arsenal were, were in it, they, there was just shakiness that was, that was apparent. It is, they were not connecting, even though they were dominating on the possession, they were, had more passes, like they outplayed Man City in in a way that Man City doesn't get played. I mean, like they this those those the stats pointed to a game where Man City should have been dominated instead of doing the dominating. Yeah, and so they it it, it wasn't like Arsenal didn't show up or didn't play their game, but the self inflicted wounds were the thing that just destroyed us. I mean the the Taviasu uh, goal or the well, we'll just, I mean, you might as well call it an own goal practically. Yeah. But it, it was, that was exemplified the, the, the many, many small things that just did not come together. And, and, and they just looked sloppy at times and, and it ruined a lot of that flow when it came to control. You, you could control the midfield, you can get the ball into the right areas, but they could not seem to get it. In, into dangerous areas because they would misplay a pass and have to retreat and start all over again. It just was not coming together. And you cannot do that against a team like Man City. They're going to make you pay. And there was a lack of cutting edge. There are a couple of times when like, I love Sokka and he scored his penalty and you know, I don't have to uh, qualify that, but there are a couple of times where Sokka was reticent to uh, take a, take a shot. Mm. There was a, I mean, there was a, a blatant time when he had a one touch in the box and he decided to like dribble it and he was trying to cross over to, uh, to, uh, Enkedia and it just didn't pan out for him. And, you know, you, you're looking on the other side with, uh, Martinelli, who I heard his name twice in the commentary. Like I, like, uh, he definitely did not have a great game, Martinelli. And he, yeah, he's been he's been missing a little bit too lately. He's in that same camp as White. It's just game after game they are not at the level that they needed or were previously. Yeah. And like, you know, I was talking to a, my buddy and there is something to be said for I think Martinelli and Jesus had a very good communication. Mhm. And also when Jesus is on the field, he's drawing that double team. Mm-hmm. And it opens up other the it open up it opens up the wings, whereas like you know, Encadia doesn't draw that same attention, and I think that is part of the problem is that you're able to the defense is able to like look at Arsenal and go, we don't have to double team any of these players, you know. Yeah, it, it definitely been very apparent over the last two three games that uh we we miss a player like jesus in this team mm-hmm. for sure there's just and, and especially when you're looking at and play he's 
I don't know that he's not playing with confidence, but the opportunities he is getting, he is not converting on. He had two decent looks at goal with a head with headers in this game that did not come off uh, across, across the face of goal where he was just inches short. Um, it just, it was, it has not been uh, as easy on the eyes as it was just a few games ago. And it's, I, uh, it's a little too hot and cold for me. I need a little, yeah. when he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's just awful to watch. Like it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not working because there's nothing that he can provide outside of goals. I just, yeah. he doesn't do anything else on the field. Like, like Jesus does like Jesus when he wasn't scoring was a huge play, piece to the way we played. And, and when Enkedi is not scoring, he might as well not be there. I mean, it's just, it's, he's not doing anything. My New Year's resolution, and I say this all the time, my New Year's <laughs> resolution is not to talk trash about Enkedia. So I'm trying to find a positive way to put this, but I think you you said it exactly. It's just, uh, if he's not, he, he's a hot and cold scorer. He's a very streaky. That's the term mm-hmm. I was looking for, mm-hmm. a streaky scorer. And when he's not streaking, it, it's just hard to justify his position because you know the last several games he's just not looked like he's going to score and i understand that like that's the uh, the point of a striker but i think it's also a failure of our 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 uh, acquisition of players that we needed a backup striker mm-hmm. and we didn't get one this window. We didn't get one the previous window. We got Jesus, but we need one other striker. Cause I was looking at the bench. I'm like, who do you put on? I literally just said it at the game when I was watching Who do you put on for Enkedia? And there's nothing mm-hmm. on the bench like Trissard. I'd rather Trissard come from the bench and go into the midfield than to be a, a another striker. And other than that, like, do you have who's our backup striker during Kedia right now? It's it's nobody. I mean, yeah, you, you're playing, yeah, you're playing Trissard or Martinelli or Emil Smith Rowe as like a false nine, and, and yeah. that's not really, I don't know, that's I don't think that's any any of their true callings. I think you're, you're putting a square peg in a round hole there. That's not ideal, and it's and like I don't know what to do with that with the uh, current players and the, this is the team we've got and I'm hopeful that uh, Jesus comes in sooner rather than later just because as you said he does those things off the ball as a striker that you want as opposed to just being a st- streaky striker mm-hmm. yeah I just if if Enkedia added better hold up play to his game. If he got back, one of the things that he used to do really well was he would, he he would put a ton. I think, I think this is because of the situation, but I mean, before he would put a ton of running in, he would be running mm-hmm. constantly and putting the goalkeeper under pressure and he would create things for himself. Um, we haven't seen as much of that. He just hasn't, I, I I'm not, I, my guess is that because he's the only only striker, he really has to figure out how to pace himself for 90 minutes and make sure he's not putting himself in a position where he can't make it through the game. And um, 
that is a that is a, a tough situation to be in where you you have a striker who has a, a skill set that he can't even use because he's having to kind of keep himself in bubble wrap a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like I like as he was a little bit earlier. Like I love it. Like having if he had an option off the bench where he did what he did, he could get an early goal or just harry the defense so much. And then the 65th, 70th minute, you could have someone else come off the bench mm-hmm. would be ideal. But there's, there's, there's no one, there's no, there is no plan B at this point on the uh, striking front. There is no, we, we switch it over. And I don't, I, there, there, I mean, this is the players we've got. And I, that's my biggest fear at this point. Yeah. And it, it's nice when, you know, party does go down and we have uh, an option in, in Jorginho, but the I, the scary thing for me now is if, if Nkedia goes, goes down at all, we're in a very, very tough position. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, we're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't, because we don't really have a good option with him available. We don't really have, we have, zero options if he's not available. So it's, it's very, very challenging when you, your main plan of attack is not working. And the, the plan B of relying on Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard and some of these other players to pick up the slack, they've looked very um, anemic in the goal scoring department lately. So we're, we're, that is, that is the root of the problem right now is goals are not coming easily by any means. But uh, you mentioned him, so I'm going to do the one positive I got out of this game, which Jorginho looked great to me. I, I I loved his play, and I thought he looked amazing. I I think the maybe the biggest compliment was that he uh, he went through the whole game, and I didn't really think about the fact that he was in there. I mean, like he was he was performing to a level where it was just like, well, our midfield is fine. We don't need to think about it. He's he's doing what needs to be done. Not it's not flashy, it's just it's doing doing the job. Doing the job and like there were a couple of times there were a couple of tackles. I I remember one I should have been taking notes but I was at the bar drinking and watching the game so I didn't take the actual <laughs> notes but That's allowed. Yeah. But uh there was uh, one tackle I want to say in the 17th minute where it just like crushed it and he just was in the exact right spot. And it was, again, it wasn't a sexy, like, you know, most people probably wouldn't even notice that tackle, but he, Giorgino just looked good. And that makes me excited for the future. And I think we have someone that can push party and have a replacement for party mm-hmm. in the short term. But I think it does, you know, part parties, parties days are probably numbered in the mm-hmm. sense that he is has proven to be very um i don't know if uh, unreliable i guess is the best word but um at least good for a a a, a big miss here and there as far as the, the timing mm-hmm. of his injuries and i'm i think everybody's concerned when you hear he gets injured because no matter how innocuous it seems that he is you know even a minor injury could stretch out into several games out so i think 
having Jorginho as as an option is amazing, and it, it's so much better to have somebody who can step in and um, not have a huge dip in 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 really. If you're comparing Jorginho to Lukonga or whoever would, oh, would fill that role, yeah. I mean, it's it's a night and day difference. Um, but yeah, I think Jorginho, uh, excuse me, parties parties got to have uh, a long term replacement lined up, and and that's uh, not Jorginho at this point. I think we got to get somebody in there that's going to be a bit younger, a bit more durable. Yeah, I mean, like the it, Jorginho is not a, as you said, a long term replacement. But like, as far as like a short term replacement, he is a, a, like just based on today's game, he's a step up from El Nini, who's a player. I I love El Nini. I'm not trying to talk trash about El Nini, but he's a step up from El Nini, and vast difference from mm-hmm. uh, the Conga. So. I'm uh, that is the the one positive I'll take out of this this game that was was that I think Jorginho had a great game and makes me confident in the future. Yeah, I I guess we can't really talk about this without uh, acknowledging the question that came in from uh, Meansy I I I. uh, he said, not really a question, but more of a discussion prompt. I reckon uh, Georges was brilliant today. He really controlled the team and showed confidence. And those passes, I, I, I acknowledge his lack of pace showed on occasion, but I was stoked with his overall contribution. I, you know, I, I think the pace thing gets overblown when you have players that know how to position themselves and really mm-hmm. take advantage of the 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 knowledge that they have i think that's that is how players extend their careers is really learning how to be efficient with their movements and um control games without having to be everywhere you know you can really just be uh a steady presence in the middle of the field and i think that is exactly what he he proved that he can bring to the team i mean and i do think specifically center midfielders don't have to have all the pace in the world. Like you look at some of the best midfielders that ever played like Pirlo. It's not about pace. It's about being in the right place at the right time and making mm-hmm. the right passes. And I think Giorgino, he passed the sniff test today. He's, it's, it's just one game. So like, we'll see how it goes forward, but he definitely passes the sniff test more than El Neni and Lakanga have ever passed that test, you know? Yeah, I mean, outside of um, Saka, he was the uh, highest rated player in the game in, in, in the Arsenal team. So mm-hmm. he was definitely um, one of the high highlights, highlight players of this game for Arsenal, at least. Um, I I don't want to break down every goal here. No. I don't I, I don't I, think that's necessary, but it, it, I I think we can we can really look at this team at the in this game and say this was self-inflicted. I mean, yes. I, I know Man City are good. Everybody knew that. So we had to play our best game and then some and we played a solid game, but you cannot 
do what we did and, and expect to win this game. I mean, that was a question I was just going to ask or put to you, which is like, what is this game? What ge- with this game in mind, how does this mean we stack up against City? Which, like, you know, at the end of the day, City is the uh, the marker that everyone's looking at. You know, I hope uh, there's not City fans listening to this podcast and they're going to make fun of us. But, like, that is where we're at as a team is we have to set, look at ourselves against other teams. And we passed several tests. We passed the uh, City test. We passed the... Uh, or the uh, not the city test, the uh, Liverpool test. We passed the uh, United test. We passed every other test. Like, how does this game make you feel with Arsenal and where we are? I think I I feel pretty encouraged, to mm-hmm. be honest, because what we've been able to do this season as we've really been on on a rebuild and maybe i should call out one of our other questions because that that rebuild word reminds me Mm -hmm. of a question that came in so maybe i'll I'll read that here from uh slmi um on the discord he says other than our own mistakes which could have been nerves or something about the occasion uh seeing man city at their strongest how do you think we fared are we ready to take on big boys or just or are we still nearing the end of the rebuild and and just happen to be in a title race? But this isn't... I, I, I don't know if I believe that we're at the end of a rebuild. Yeah. I think we're still right, right in the middle um, because this is a team that's transitioning from um, kind of a low, a low period, a period of, of no clear direction. And now, now the direction is clear, and they've been piecing piecing this team together over over several seasons. Now you're you're looking at what is this team going to be like when when Champions League and beyond is is in our sights, you know? Because yeah. that is kind of the next phase of this rebuild: is how do you make this team into a perennial challenger? How do you make this team into a Champions League level team? How do you attack on multiple fronts? How do you build that depth? that is stuff that man city has been doing for years and years. Mm-hmm. So we are just catching up in, in the sense of where we're building from the tactics, the coaching, the um, player base, the fan base, all these things are st- kind of still in their infancy, even though Arsenal has this rich history. I look at this project as very, very much at the beginning. Um, and it, it's, it's nice that there's fan buy-in and team buy-in and all these things, but the the personnel, the the rebuild and the quality and the consistency, I still sit. I still think there's a, a bit more to go. And you look at the striker position and how thin that is. You look at when party goes down, everybody still panics a little bit. There's still lots of weak points to our team and to our game that can get picked apart. And I think if you want to continually keep pace with these bigger teams, you you have to a be really efficient with your money because you're not going to be able to compete at that level of oil money that gets poured into a team like man city or not. But uh, that's beside our points, but what's that legal or not legal or not. Yeah. If you're going to want to keep up, you have to be very good with your recruiting, very good with how you spend your money. You, you cannot, um 
you cannot hope to be a, a Chelsea overnight and, and just throw money at the problem and have it go away. Um, you know, neither one of those teams are great examples of how to fix a problem because the, the money is unsustainable and, and probably illegal to some degree. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're going to play within the boundaries of what we hope every Premier League team plays with, you know, I think it, it, takes, it takes a lot of time. It takes some turnover, but the foundation is, is there to push on from this. And I don't see the team falling apart from a loss to Man City like I would have one or two seasons ago when that, that would have been such a crushing blow. But now I just feel like, okay, we move on. And I feel like the fan base is behind that sort of sentiment. So that's a huge indicator that we're, um, we're moving in the right direction, title race or not. I think that, mm-hmm. that where, where we end up at the end of the season is going to be a huge step from where we started. I mean, that's exactly where, where I feel we're at, which is we're ahead of schedule. It, you know, we have, we have it documented on our podcast of where we thought we were going to be at the, the, this season, which is just mm-hmm. fighting for champions league spots. And we're not fighting for champions league spot. I don't, I mean, I don't mean to jinx it, but I, we're, we're in a very good spot to get that champions league place. And uh, fighting for the title is well ahead of schedule of where we should be. And even to play this game, we weren't outclassed. Like, you know, I think the 31 is flattering to City. To Absolutely. Be really, really yeah. honest. I think, uh, you know, 2 1 to City would have probably been a more fair result for this. We didn't have the cutting edge on the striking and didn't look like we were going to score more goals other than our penalty. But uh, it is we're competitive with these teams and to see where city is now and where we are, it's not that far of a difference. And, and so I like it, these games make me feel confident going forward. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I mean, I'm going to say it now and I'm sorry to all these uh, ro- super rose. Like I don't expect us to win the title. I never expected us to win the title, but, I don't think it's out of the question if we do win the title, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know if right. that's contradictory, but, uh, we're on the same level. I mean, I think we are a better team than United. We're a better team than Liverpool. We're a better team than, uh, Chelsea to a certain extent. Like Chelsea just spent half a billion dollars. So like, what can you say about that? But <laughs> we're not really out overperforming we're just ahead of where we we should be and i think in two more windows this is where we should be so next year i'm excited about it like you know we have as a starting starting team as competitive as a starting team as you could want and we just need a couple more little things in transfer windows a couple more depth positions and when we play in the champions league we're going to need to rely on that but it's a good team and i'm not upset of where we are even after the sauce yeah i think now the trick is figuring out how to get back to 
what was working before? Mm-hmm. How do you get this? Like the confidence is there. I mean, the fact that we were going toe to toe with Man City and not really um, looking like we were going to fall apart at any moment. I think, like you said, the the, the goal, the goals were were flattering towards um, City because I think the the underlying stats were in our favor. And um, I mean, except for the probably the, the expected goals, I think that mm-hmm. would be the big the big disparity. Um, but when when you're looking at this team and how they continue to play out of the back with with confidence, I mean, even though thing there had been stray passes and things were um, not quite click, clicking going forward, there was still the ability and mental toughness to continue to play out of the back, continue to play their game and uh, control, control things. And I think that is uh, a great sign of the buy-in that, that Arteta has gotten from this team and that, you know, some at times in the past when games were kind of crumbling, you would see this reversion back to bad habits and Mm. they would panic and, and, give up on playing out of the back. You just have kicking, kicking the ball along and hoping and, and watching teams take that advantage of that and come back at us and force us to be on our heels. Instead, we had the discipline to continue to play from the back, continue to try to control the possession, continue to try to dominate the midfield, um, doing the things that are fundamental to how we have played throughout the entire season. And if you just get the, the goals, everything else is is still there. So I just, it, it's, it's just a matter of, of tweaks. I think it's not, yeah. it is not, um, it's not that we've lost a man city and now we got to go figure out how to rework this team. I think we go into the Villa game this weekend with an opportunity to bounce back and hopefully, uh, write some of the, the, confidence that has been zapped from the team because when you're not scoring it seems like everything's going wrong but as soon as you get a couple goals it it, the the bright side is very very apparent and one of my favorite uh images from the game was when after uh tommy asu made the mistake for the first goal uh odegaard ran up to him and just pushed his chin up to show like keep your chin up, you know, like it was, it was, it was a great thing of like, you made a mistake, but keep your chin up. And I, I I love that, that, uh, interaction. He just like rolled his hand under his chin and lifted it. (laughs) Exactly. Just (laughs) like, you don't, you don't need to know English or anything. It was like, keep your chin up. And Mm -hmm. that's where I think we need to be is just keep our chin up, do what we do. And going forward, I, I'm not too upset. Yeah. Tr- trust the process as they say. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's, there's not a, t- a ton to say about, uh, the rest of that game, but we do have a chance at redemption this weekend. Um, Villa comes in sitting at 11th on the table right now, uh, having lost a couple games here, uh, looks like they've, uh, yeah, drop, drop points to, to Leicester and, and city or last weekend. So, um, Villa's going to want to come 
take advantage of the blood and the water with Arsenal for sure. I think they're Emery. Unai Emery is going to want to come back and make an impression on a team that that let him go. Um, so it'll it'll be a very interesting game, but I think there's an opportunity here to to bounce back. Well, it's Unai Emery and uh, Emmy Martinez that both mm-hmm. probably have a chip on their shoulder. I was super annoyed that uh, on the weekend uh, Unai Emery couldn't show better against City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But they're they're not a talentless team. It's going to be a t- you know I say this all the time against any team we play. They're going to be a tough game. I'm not expectant of a win, but I think if Arsenal plays the best that they play, we we win this game. I have a lot of time today for uh, Emmy Martinez. I think I mean he's a World Cup winning goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. But I think the team is very much evolved from where Inouye Emery was, and it's a better team from where Inouye Emery was. And I don't think there's a lot of secrets that Inouye Emery can like teach to their team. Like I, you know, I think Arteta has them playing a very different game. So yeah, I'm I'm very much more uh, enthusiastic about the result from this game than this last Wednesday's game. Yeah, I am I'm hopeful that there's there with these quick turnarounds, it's it's possible to right the ship. I think that is that's a nice thing to have when you're struggling is is I think having a get games in quick succession can actually be beneficial. But um I wouldn't be surprised to see some rotation because mm-hmm. there was a couple guys that looked a little a little bit tired uh, at the end of this game. They were definitely giving their all. So um, I, I think it's good that White sat out most of the game. I think he'll come back into the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought uh, Trissard looked good as usual. I mean, he he comes in and just brings energy and looks, looks dangerous. So I, I expect him to get a start. Um, I... I, I, I would just as much rotation as we can handle and still get a result. I think it should happen because the, it's these guys have been going through it lately. So I think you, you have to, to balance the the rebound game, but with with some mental recovery because it's it's tough to come off a, a Man City loss like that and just um, throw everything in that you have left into the next game a few days later. I think that's. That's asking a, a lot from a sports psychology perspective. Yeah. I mean, and this is not me talking shit about Enkedi. I want to put that out here, but I feel like I wish we had someone to rotate for Enkedi. Like, I think this mm. would be a perfect time to put another striker in, but we just don't have another striker. So it's just going to be Enkedi. Yeah. So I'd love to see Emil Smith Rowe get back into the game. Um, I, I'm hopeful he's close to to making an impact. Yeah. Um, okay. Is there anything else we want to say about this game? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just that I uh, wanted to win it so bad. Yeah. I I wish we could have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I do want to get one more question in before we wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Um. 
SLMI had one more uh, addendum to his questions here. Um, he said, were the mistakes unforced or do you think the pressure got to the lads? I I don't think, I don't think the pressure got to the lads. I think it, it was unfortunate with uh, Tommy Asu. He made two mistakes mm. and they weren't forced uh, mistakes. I just think it was just, it happened. I think there was a little bit of rust, especially the first one. The first goal is a uh, a rusty player kind of being lazy. Not lazy. Lazy is not the right word, but uh, not thinking about his past. The second one was annoying because he just pinched in when he shouldn't have pinched in, and that might be just a training question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who should be covering that? Uh, who's who's on the the wing ahead of uh, Tomiyasu? Um, ahead of Tommy would be Saka, because like that's where you might have wanted to see Saka also go back and fill that space because that that space was like what twenty yards in every direction that that guy was open. And so yeah. maybe that was a a little bit of miscommunication from the both, but I don't think it's a fatal error. But I think uh, maybe putting Ben White back in is going to be a more uh, you won't see the same mistake against uh, Villa. Yeah, I hope not. I, I I do feel like this is a good learning opportunity for a lot of these young players, I, I hope that they are able to bounce back from it and be better, better off for it rather than crumbling under <laughs> some perceived failure, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of hype going into this game, especially from Arteta, who this is his, this is his boogeyman. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he is di- probably dying for a win against his, his former team. I mean, um, Arsenal's dying for a win. Like it's, yeah. now, uh, what is it? 10 games in a row that we never beat city at, uh, the Emirates. So. Yeah, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I, I, th- I, I see, I see that the, the pieces are in place to continue to put pressure onto, onto city. Um, and the, 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 I think if we continue, if we figure out how to write the ship here and, and, and get going on another run, by the time we face City again, um, I am hopeful that this is a much more confident-looking team than the one that we saw today because I feel like there's there's more that we have seen earlier in the season from Arsenal that wasn't there today. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that we're able to get back onto that track before uh, mid-April or late April when we take on Man City again, I, I, I think... There's a possibility that this is a, a very um, different looking team by then. Okay. Any, is there anything else we want to touch on before we wrap this thing up? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, call it a day then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, even though that that's the the double well not double loss but <laughs> when we're when we're on a bit of a, a streak it's it's hard but yes. you know like I said we've been lucky so this is this has been rare this season so 
thank you for listening and, and enjoying our uh, the, the chance at catharsis here. Uh, review and subscribe wherever you're picking us up. I uh, We really appreciate it if you leave us a review if you're already subscribed. Uh, check out uh, Bobcat. I'm going to throw out their website, which is bobc.at. Their latest album and much more can be found on their website. Uh, and if you want to add some questions for our next episode, there's a few ways you can do that. One of them is Twitter, which is at W of N London. Uh, email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can go to uh, anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. Discord is where you can find us for uh, game day chat uh, and, and just talking about Arsenal throughout the week. If you want to join our Discord, the best place to do that is the link that you can find in our show notes. And I believe that is it for this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show.